Don't mess with Mother Nature. That saying has been around for as long as I can remember, and it certainly applies to aviation. In the summertime, we avoid thunderstorms. In the winter, we avoid ice. Airliners have to be de-iced. Ice can be deadly even for airplanes approved for flight into known icing. But what do you do about frost that accumulates on an airplane that's been sitting out in the cold? It can still be extremely hazardous. And we'll meet a pilot who encountered that very issue on this episode of I Laughed. I learned about flying from that. Hi everyone, I'm Rob Ryder, and welcome to episode 29 of Flying Magazine's I Learned About Flying From That podcast. It's brought to you by the Avemco Aviation Insurance Company. On today's episode, I'll have a conversation with John Hull, who way back in 1971 was hired to fly a Cessna 421 in winter conditions from an airport with a 7,000-foot field elevation and three passengers. The airplane had sat outside in the cold for a week and was covered with frost. How he solved that problem is the subject of my interview. We'll get to that story right after this message from Avemco. Avemco is the only aircraft insurance company that lets you call them directly. In fact, they want you to call them. They love talking about airplanes. And if you've got a squawk with your insurance company, even if it's with Avemco, they want to hear about it. It's that direct one-on-one -on -one personal contact that sets Avemco apart. Visit avemco.com flying or call them today at 800-338-8705. Say you're an iLaft listener and you'll save 5% on your annual premium. Now, I learned about flying from that. John Hull is my guest today on I Laughed, and he started his career in the U.S. Navy, but his love for flying began even before that. John, welcome to I Laughed. Thank you for asking, Rob. Appreciate it. Tell me about your early exposure to aviation and what, you, what got you interested in flying. Well, I was, uh, my first flight was on a Western Airlines DC-3 wow. from uh, Michigan to Oakland, California. And I recall the vibrating voices and uh, <laughs> on air and so on. And, you know, at, at the time, I just thought, okay, this is what an airplane is. And then uh, uh, fast forward to when I was a teenager, I got interested in Civil Air Patrol. Ah, good and, thing. Uh, and we took some, you know, the Air Force gave us a couple of rides again on C-47 now, DC-3. Wow. Uh, and so that was kind of fun. But I didn't give it too much thought about becoming a pilot until um, I got in the Navy and they asked me, what would you like to do? And I said, you know, I'd like to be trained as a pilot. I don't know where that came from, but it did. So they did the evaluations and unfortunately I didn't meet their criteria. And so I just put that aside and went on to do other things. Later, as I was working for the city of San Marino Fire Department, I noticed uh, some advertising for $5 demonstration rides and general aviation aircraft. So I took one at uh, Flaybob Airport in Rialto, California, a 140 Cherokee. 
and another one in the Cessna 150 at Farflight in uh, Riverside, Arlington. I decided to go with the uh, Farflight. Uh, I just liked the surroundings. The uh, flight instructor, Bob Brown, was just awesome. Such a sweet guy and a funny guy, too. He he had a favorite saying, keep, keep the nose low and the airspeed up unless the earth rise up and smite thee. That's a great yeah. line. <laughs> Did it take you a long time to earn your ticket? No, I got that in about four months, I think it was. Wow, um, how many hours? 35 hours, minimum time. You know, it was an approved school, Cessna Pilot Center. And uh, so I got done right at the 35-hour mark. Congratulations. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. Uh, no, Bob was an excellent instructor. Then uh, I looked around. I said, well, what can I do about this now that I got my ticket? And I realized that I had no resources, if you will, to purchase an airplane or even rent one very often. So the next thought I had was, well, if I got paid to do it, that would work. And I looked around and I found out that one of the benefits from the Veterans Administration was an educational stipend, $10,000. You mean the GI Bill? Yeah, that's what Aha. they call it, GI Bill. So I went back to Par Flight and they said, yes, we know about that. And they signed me up for a commercial pilot training. And when I got that done, I still had a little bit left over. So I went on to CFI and then later multi-engine. I quit the fire department and went to work for Par Flight. You became an instructor at Par Flight. I did. I don't like to brag about it, but over the three years of working there, I put through 35 students for certificates. Wow. You were a busy instructor. Yep. And my expertise seemed to be uh, in instrument flying. I did much better with that uh, as a student and much better with that as a teacher. What made you feel that you were a better instrument instructor and better instrument flyer than a VFR instructor or flyer? Well, that's a good question. I think probably the, the best answer would be that uh, I just learned to trust those instruments really well as opposed to uh, what my body was telling me. Well, eventually, though, you got to the point where you were flying a 421 for a guy. The fellow that employed me recommended me to this company that was flying that 421. Now, the fellow was, that I flew with was also a pilot. We'd gone on a, a, a trip, and he said, John, I need you to go to Santa Susana and pick up uh, an associate. I said, okay. He says, just be sure you go in there with as little fuel as possible and take on just enough fuel to get back to Hanford because the runway is short. Let me break in for a moment to offer some context about this airport because the Santa Susana Airport sadly is gone. It was born, as far as I can tell, back in 1938, was located on the south side of the town of Santa Susana, just 11 and a half miles west of Van Nuys in the Simi Valley of California. It was finally abandoned sometime during the 1980s and a number of buildings now occupy the land on which the airport was located. But it has some interesting history. It was used in the filming of some TV shows, including Ripcord, The Odd Couple, and even Whirlybirds back in the 50s and 60s. And another story tells of aviation legend Clay Lacey flying his P-51 there at an air show. Even actor Steve McQueen is reported to have done takeoffs and landings there in his yellow Stearman. 
I didn't know he flew a Stearman. The runway was only 2,000 feet long, and that's why the owner wanted to make sure that John only put enough gas in it to get to his next airport. So I took off with about uh, 40 gallons of side and flew on down to Santa Susana, which I'd never been into before. The approach to Santa Susana was pretty easy to do, but when I landed the airplane there, I realized that it was pretty short. And when I pulled up to the gas pumps, I was told by the guy there, he says, you know, multi-engine aircraft are restricted from here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Did you, you think your boss knew that? I think he did, but he sent me there. I got the guy on board, got 40 gallons of fuel, did my run-up on the taxiway, and made a, as quick a turn from the taxiway to the runway as I could. And I poured the power to it, put 15 flaps down, and I rotated right at best angle of climb. This was back in the day when TV antennas were high because you had to hear everything from Mount Wilson. And I just barely cleared those things. And I got to thinking, I'll bet I scared the, something out of all those people down there in those homes. <laughs> so I decided at that point that I would always research an airport that I'm going to go to and draw if, if it is not something that this airplane can do and I can do, then I will reject the uh, instruction. Fun story and good lesson. But your second story is connected to the first because it's the same guy and the same airplane, but way different weather. What was the actual date? On December 31st, 1971, I was called by him and he said, can you get on the little commuter airline that comes up here and fly me and my family back home? I have broken my leg on the ski slope. Anyway, uh, I arrived after flying up on the little commuter guy, and I contacted the, uh, the FBO owners there, and I said, well, I need to get this plane ready for flight. And he said, okay, let's, let's get her done. And he pulls out his Herman Nelson heaters, sets them on the motors, and he wrapped the fuselage and wings with black plastic. The combination of the Herman Nelson heaters and the black plastic absorbing that energy from the sun melted the frost on the wings and fuselage, and now you're just about ready to go. So uh, we're getting loaded with people and get the airplane started up, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the oil gauges and uh, temperature gauges, and they're in the dark red. So we mm. sat there for about 15 minutes, and they just started to come out of the red. Well, I know he was anxious to go. I was anxious to get out of there. So I started doing the run-up, and unfortunately, I had already pulled the chocks. I hit about 1,400 RPM. I was skidding on the, the ice because... Because even though you got the frost off the wings and fuselage, the ramp itself still had some ice and snow on it. So you got to 1,400 RPM, and the airplane is now skidding. So that meant you couldn't even get the RPM on the engines up to 1,700 to do the mag check and also cycle the props. And I got to 1,400, and I tried cycling, and they worked okay, but I didn't think about, is that good enough, or is that correct, or so on. So I taxied out, and I started to pull the power up on it. Well, let me interrupt for a moment. If the ramp was still icy, what was the condition of the runway? The runway was, was, ice, was snowbound, and we had snow banks on the other side. So it had been plowed, but it was uh, still a little bit icy. So you applied power, and then what happened? 
and the right engine didn't come up to full speed. And now we're headed to the banks. So obviously I aborted, and I turned around, went back to where I started, and uh, let those engines warm up even more. And finally, By this I, time, were they in the green, or had had they gotten yeah, up to... Yeah, they were in the green. They still weren't totally uh, operating temperature, but they were in the green now. Okay. So I go to the end of the runway and forward the power to it, and the power came up, and uh, everything was fine. I got to uh, rotation VR and uh, pulled back on the, the yoke. Airplane lifted off, and I reached down to grab the, the gear switch. Nothing happened. Now, the 421, when the gear's hanging out there, is like a gut shock. Duck. <laughs> wait a minute. Did you wait? Say that again. Did you say gut shot duck? Yeah, I can just <laughs> barely fly like that. I'm laughing, but it's not really very funny because after everything else that's already gone wrong, this really had to get your attention. I was kind of freaked out at this point. I can't get any altitude. All I can do is maintain this this speed I'm at, which by now I had it up to VR or. VY, but I couldn't get any altitude. So I thought, what's going on here? So I, I called over to the owner of the airplane. I says, I think the gear is frozen. I'm going to drop down on it real hard and then do a touch and go. Wow. And he said, sounds like a plan, John. So I did. I very carefully circled around to make a approach on the active end. So at this point, your VY was what speed in the 421? Oh, gosh, it must have been about 90. 90 knots. So you really yeah. do have to be careful you with four people careful. in the plane. Very careful. Uh, my my turn rate was about 15 degrees. Gotcha. And I came around, and I dropped that thing on the ground pretty hard. And then I poured the power to it and took off and hit the gear switch, and it came up. But my secondary plan was if it didn't come up, I would fly down to Owens Valley to warmer temperatures and then try to raise it up. But I didn't have to. Well, I'm glad you were able to get the gear up when it finally, when you did it, did that force, <laughs> did that controlled crash, if you will. Tell you what, let's take a break, John, and then we'll come back and discuss those things that you learned about flying from that. We'll be right back. There's only one aircraft insurance company that invites you to call them and actually discuss your situation with an aviation insurance specialist. That company is Avemco. What kind of flying do you do? What if you don't fly all winter? Why is it just as bad to have too much insurance as too little? Is there a penalty just for being an older pilot? Call 800-338-8705 or visit avemco.com flying. Either way, tell them you're an I Laughed listener and you'll save an additional 5%. Now, back to I Laughed. We are back with John Hall, who, along with the owner of his aircraft, the aircraft he was flying, the Cessna 421, and the owner's two sons, had a very interesting, challenging time trying to get the airplane warmed up and off the ground. And when it did, the gear wouldn't come up, and you had a unique uh, method of uh, knocking the ice or the frost loose so the uh, wheels would come up. You just planted it like you were landing on the deck of an aircraft carrier. I guess that harkens back to your Navy days, John. 
Well, not really. I was a Navy CV. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can dream, right? T- tell us, tell us about some of the lessons you learned from both both that trip into when you get into, into Santa Susana, and then also when you went to pick up the owner of the airplane. Well, Rob, uh, looking back on all those memories of flying, uh, I realized, and I think most of the guys that are listening to this can agree with this, that despite all of our training, despite all of the correct procedures that we follow, there are always going to be an aberration come along that you're going to have to deal with by the seat of your pants, so to speak. Um, at the Mammoth Lakes thing where I had to do the, the plant, I did have plan two, which was, the, you know, going downhill. But that's something you don't train for. And we never thought anything about the gear being under the airplane, of it being exposed to any kind of a mist or moisture. But it had been. And so I learned about flying from that. Also, the other thing the uh, Santa Susana deal was don't take someone else's word for anything. Uh, always do the research. It doesn't take much. Call flight service. Uh, they'll they'll help you out. And I have other stories that I have written, but uh, you know this is <laughs> these are the ones I'm least proud of. <laughs> <laughs> but we we all have been in that kind of a position where if it was not a dangerous mistake, it may have been one that really called uh, to our own attention some shortcomings in how we were handling things. It's interesting. We worry about frost on the wings of an airplane and on the tail section or on the fuselage. But this is the first time as I read your column, John, that I thought, Boy, oh boy, what if you got a retractable or retractable gear airplane and the gear won't come up? That's that's dangerous in any kind of airplane because of the amount of drag that's induced. That's right. The drag is the is the was the issue on that. And I mean, if I were in that position again, I would definitely be sure that the the gear is uh, operating or at least not seized up by ice and stuff <laughs> you know the, the 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 motor on that is a uh has a clutch in it and so uh if there is a resistance the, the pump motor will run but it won't overdo or overdo the uh uh the regulation to raise that gear up it'll just sit there and spin and that's well, what's that's- happening that's a fortunate thing, and that that it did not uh, that it did not damage it because that could have prevented the gear from ever coming up, or could have been a problem on landing. Had it might have, uh, it could have per- right. potentially collapsed. That's right. Uh, if it had come up partially, let's say, and that's all I could get out of it, what's to say it would ever go down again? Indeed, so you're right. Yeah. Well, can't John- take chances. Yeah, indeed. John, those are great lessons. Never assume anything. Don't take someone else's word for for anything. And that other thing, think about frost over the entire airplane, not just the wings, fuselage, and tail. John, thank you very much for being on I Laughed. It was my pleasure. I'm very pleased that you would enjoy my article that well, that you would invite me. Thank you for asking. 
I'm so appreciative of John's time with me and us on this episode. Even at a young 80 years of age, his recollection of the circumstances and the lessons learned are fresh in his mind, and they're applicable for all of us who encounter freezing weather. Frost doesn't look awful like an accumulation of ice, but according to the National Transportation Safety Board, frost the size of a grain of salt distributed as sparsely as one per square centimeter over a wing's upper surface can destroy enough lift to prevent a plane from taking off. Thanks for listening to this episode. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe and share it with your aviation friends. Flying has gotten letters from pilots who've read the stories, gotten into similar situations, and the lessons learned have saved their lives. And if you've got a story that taught you some good lessons, shoot me an email with a synopsis to rob at flying.media. That's rob at flying.media, and we'll take a look at it. The executive producer of iLaft is Lisa DeFries. Julie Boatman is the editor-in-chief of Flying Magazine. iLaft is available wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can follow Flying Magazine on Facebook or Instagram, where we'll post new episodes so everyone can hear the first-hand accounts of the flying lessons that sometimes only experience can teach. For Avemco Aviation Insurance and Flying Magazine, fueling the passion for flight since 1927, I'm Rob Ryder. Catch you next time on I Learned About Flying From That.